If you have a Bible, you can open up to Psalm 39. Psalm 39 is where we're heading today as we continue our way through Psalms this summer. Psalm 39. The final stanza of Psalm 39 sounds a lot like the words we just sang. O Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. But the psalm begins in a very different place. Um, the song that comes to mind uh, as I think of, of the beginning of the psalm is a very different song, a very different kind of song. I invite you uh, to, to join me in it, uh, as I think you'll recognize it. <clears throat> I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle, here is my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout, tip me over and pour me out. There you go. Everyone knows that one, right? Psalm 39 begins with someone trying to keep their cool, but they can't quite keep it in. So when they get all steamed up, we hear them shout. And what comes out is a great lament about life and death and a prayer for hope and relief. I imagine there are several ways we might be able to relate to this psalm. So let's listen to the words of Psalm 39 together. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner. 
a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you for being someone to whom we can turn when we get all steamed up and need to shout. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of tension in this psalm. The person who's speaking is caught in the tension between silence and speech. They're caught in a tension between life and death. They're caught in the tension between hope and despair. Each one of these tensions is expressed throughout the psalm. The psalmist wants to stay quiet, but bursts out. Uh, The psalmist wants to enjoy life, but feels the nearness of death. The psalmist wants to draw near to God for hope, but ends up pushing God away. These are the tensions within this psalm. And if we're honest, these are the tensions that every one of us feels at times. Every one of us wrestles between silence and speech, between life and death, between hope and despair. And the psalmist does not ignore these tensions or dismiss them, but rather makes space to express and explore them with God. These tensions, as they've been prayed, have been preserved here in Scripture, and so we are invited to explore them as well. So I want to invite us to consider these tensions in our lives today. The first tension we see in the psalm is the tension between silence and speech. The psalmist begins by expressing an intention. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. The psalm begins with the intention to stay silent. And this is a much-needed discipline in our world today. We live in a soundbite world of noise, where everyone is expected to be an expert on everything and have a fully formed opinion on every issue and be ready to speak about it at a moment's notice usually arguing with whoever disagrees with you, right? That's the world we live in. We live in a culture that's been discipled by cable news anchors, broadcasting bad news and airing outrage 
That's how we've learned to be. We live in a society shaped by social media where the hottest takes get the most hits. Silence has no place among us and among our culture. Silence is not something that we're familiar with. It's not something that we are accustomed to. It's not something that we are comfortable with. We do not watch our ways. We do not keep our tongues from sin. Instead of putting a muzzle on our mouth, we are encouraged to pick up megaphones instead and add to the angry outcry of the world around us. There is wisdom in silence. The book of Proverbs says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The New Testament book of James says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Silence is a discipline of taming the tongue which can in turn shape our whole trajectory, the whole way that we live. And so why is it so difficult to guard our mouths and tongues? Why are we so addicted to the noise of the world? Well, noise, whether we're making it or hearing it, is a way for us to remain distracted. Noise is a way for us to remain distracted. It's a way that we avoid things around us. I wonder, what is it that you try to avoid through noise and speech? What would silence bring up in you that you'd rather not face? Is there guilt? Is there shame? Is there anger or resentment that lives down there? Dissatisfaction that begins to rise up? What might you discover if you allowed yourself to be silent? What might you learn if you began to listen instead of always having to speak, what might start to well up within you if you gave yourself to attentive silence? This is what the psalmist begins with here.
I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. So I remained utterly silent. But then things start to turn, right? Then things start to move. Things do begin to well up. Verse 3 says, My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Right? So in the midst of silence, things begin to stir. Things begin to come up. And this is the pattern we need to pay attention to. This movement from silence to speech. The world we live in has no room for silence. So we just want to speak all the time. And what we see here is not utter and complete silence, but silence that becomes Speech, speech that emerges out of silence. See, silence begins as a discipline of self-denial. But we need to not allow it to become a form of self-deception. Do you know the difference between these things? The difference between self-denial and self-deception? Self-denial means resisting our temptation to argue, to defend, to insist on our own ways, to have all the answers, to have the last word. But self-deception is something entirely different. Self-deception is about being dishonest about our feelings, being dishonest about the state of our heart, being untrue about our souls. Self-deception is like the this is fine meme. Have you seen this before? A little dog sitting in a room that's on fire. This is fine. Everything's okay. That's self-deception, right? Here's a way of putting it. Silence as self-discipline, as self-denial, means resisting the temptation to start fires right? But silence as a form of self-deception means ignoring the fires that are actively burning around us. Do you see the difference here? There's a healthy form of silence that keeps us from adding fire to the flame, but there's an unhealthy kind of silence that causes us to ignore what's going on deep inside. The psalm begins with silence. But as he becomes increasingly aware of this fire that's burning within him, he moves to speech. And prayer is something that invites us to practice self-denial while avoiding self-deception. It holds these in tension with each other. The psalm invites us into the discipline of silence, but also, when the time is right, into honest expression of what is going on in our hearts. And that's where the psalm continues. When I meditated, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. And when he begins to speak, he expresses another tension. We move from the tension between silence and speech to the tension between life and death. As this heating teapot begins to whistle, the psalmist begins his speech and prayer, and it becomes a reflection 
on the smallness and brevity of life. Verse 4 says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Just like we tend to avoid silence, we also tend to avoid thinking about death. There's this pivot moment in the recent blockbuster hit, Barbie. It's been all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. So many, have any of you seen it? Do you want to admit to that? A uh, few people, all right. That's great. Uh, Caitlin and I saw it recently. But in this movie, it begins in Barbie land, where everything is happy and perfect. Every night ends with a dance party at the Barbie dream house, right? I mean, it is perfect. It's fun. It's playful. But then... One night, in the middle of the fun and the dancing and the smiles, Barbie unexpectedly blurts out, hey, do you guys ever think about dying? And then there's that record scratch and everyone just freezes and stares at one another in tension and awkwardness, unsure how to respond. It's this moment of uncomfortable silence. And then Barbie goes, I mean, I'm dying to keep dancing. And the music goes back on and everyone keeps moving on like nothing ever happened. This is how we tend to think about death, right? It's something we just don't want to approach. We don't want to think about. It turns off all the music and the distractions and it makes us get serious about the things in front of us. So we avoid it. We don't think about death. We mask it with makeup and medicine. We restrict it to places like hospitals so it doesn't intrude into our everyday lives. But the psalmist here, after sitting in the tension of silence, utters a question like Barbie. Do you ever think about dying? Do you ever think about dying? He prays to God about the brevity of life, reflecting on how, verse 6, everyone goes around like a mere phantom, rushing about, heaping up wealth, all in vain. And so just like noise distracts us from silence, so much of our activity and our constant accumulation is meant to distract us from death. We store up things on earth where thieves break in and steal, where moth and rust destroy because it provides us at least the illusion of permanence. But what happens when we accept the reality of death? What happens when we allow ourselves to ponder the brevity of life. Well, there's at least two options. Uh, when we actually approach 
the reality of death. We'll tend to either cave in to meaningless and despair, or we begin to search for hope beyond this life. We begin to search for hope beyond death. And this is the tension that we see in the last part of the psalm. Verse 7, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. And this would be a great ending to the psalm. And if the psalm ended here, it would make for a very nice, tidy ending to a sermon. Uh, And that would have been very easy for me. But it would not reflect the tension of reality that we experience every day. Because the reality is we waver between hope and despair. The reality is is that we vacillate between faith and doubt. So the psalmist continues. Right? He claims that his hope is in God. He prays to be saved from his transgressions and from the scorn of others. But as he approaches God, he begins to feel uncomfortable about God. He blames God for this pain that he is in. And he asks for relief. In verse 10, he says, Remove your scourge from me. I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. God, you're you're doing this. Can you stop it? He vacillates once more in verse 12, saying, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for help. But then he feels like God is a stranger instead of a friend. So in the final verse of this psalm, he tells God, look away from me. Look away from me that I might enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. What do we do with that? It doesn't make for easy answers, but it's honest. This prayer, in fact, this whole psalm is very similar to a prayer that Job prays. In Job chapter 7, after he's lost everything, possessions, family, his own health, Job addresses God. And he says, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Does this sound familiar after reading the psalm? And then he continues. What is mankind? That you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment. Will you never look away from me or leave me alone even for an instant? This prayer is sort of like Tevye's prayer in the musical Fiddler on the Roof when he says to God, I know, I know we are your chosen people. 
But once in a while, can't you choose someone else? Job turns to God in prayer, but he does not see God as a friend. He doesn't want God's attention. He wants God to leave him alone. Give me some space. Back off for a moment. And this seems to be what the psalmist expresses here as well. As he sits in that tension between hope and despair. The tension between faith and doubt. He says, my hope is in you, but look away from me for a moment. I wonder if the psalmist thought about Job as he wrote this psalm. It's hard to imagine that he didn't have that prayer of Job in mind with all the similarities. Because Job also sits in that tension between silence and speech. Job sits quite literally on the edge between life and death. Job is grappling with the tension between hope and despair. This is what the psalmist is praying about and reflecting on. And these are the tensions that we live in, too. So I want to ask, where are you this morning? Where are you today? In the midst of all of these tensions, do you find yourself drawn to the noise of our culture? Always needing to add to it and have an answer? Or do you find yourself tempted by the silence of self-deception? This is fine, right? While everything's burning up within and around us. Do you use speech and silence as a means of avoiding pain, anger, or something else? What might happen if you actually sat in that silent space for a little while, what might begin to stir? What might you speak out of that place? Where do you find yourself in the tension between life and death? Do you avoid the reality of death? Do you store up wealth and riches as a way of denying or distracting yourself from death? What might it look like to let go of the death grip that we often have on life itself? If you did that, would you fall into that space of meaninglessness and despair? Or would you be able to find hope in God? As we sit in all of these tensions, we got to wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this? Where is God in our silence and speech? Where is God in our life and our death? Where is God in hope and despair? 
Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if you want to see where God is, we need to look at Jesus. So when I think of that tension between silence and speech, I think of Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, standing before his accusers. Scripture tells us that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And yet even then their testimony did not agree. And then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Jesus had every reason to become enraged, angry, to cry out against the injustice of it, to defend himself. It sounds like their stories didn't add up. It should have been an easy defense to make. But he did not give in to that. He remained silent. When I think of the tension between life and death, I think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus did not avoid death. He chose it. Jesus shows us that God is not far from us in death but rather with us in the midst of death. When the psalmist looks to God, he expresses this feeling like God is a stranger to him. But Jesus shows us that God is our friend. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends. Jesus did not avoid death. He embraced death because of love. And then finally, when I think of the tension between hope and despair, I think of Jesus on the third day, risen from the dead. Because he is risen, we can hope. Because of his resurrection, we can trust that death will not have the last word for any one of us. So we can trust God, who is with us in silence, death, and despair. You see, Jesus chose silence in the midst of speech. Jesus chose death in the midst of life. And this is why we can have hope in the midst of despair. Jesus shows us that we do not dwell with God as a stranger as the psalmist felt, but we dwell with God as a friend. 
Jesus has laid down his life for us in death, and he has made way for us in resurrection. So wherever you find yourself in the midst of these tensions, may you look to Jesus and find hope. Amen.